Everyone loves to listen to a good book, and there are so many wonderful ones to choose, so we decided to bring you this podcast of Stories Come to Life. Each episode features a story from either classic or modern literature, especially chosen to be interesting and exciting to hear. So sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Welcome to Stories Come to Life. I am your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. It is with great pleasure that I am able to announce that Simon & Schuster Publishing Company has given permission for this book to be read out loud and shared on Stories Come to Life until June 30th, 2024. But of course, the episodes that fall under that special permission will all be taken down on that date, so listen now while they're available. As Nancy visits the relatives of Josiah Crowley, she discovers that he has promised each of them that he would leave them some inheritance after his death. But still, no second will can be found. Then old Abigail Rowan remembers something about the Crowley family clock. Could the will be hidden there? And where could the clock be now? To find out, sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Nancy Drew, The Secret of the Old Clock, Chapter 8 A Discouraging Day After leaving her father's office, Nancy Drew went directly home. Quickly backing her roadster from the garage, she set off down the river road in the direction of the old farmhouse where the Horner girls lived. Before leaving the main highway, Nancy glanced anxiously at the sky and was relieved that no clouds were visible. After my last experience, I don't intend to get caught in another storm, she admonished herself. The recent rain had made the roads rough, and Nancy bumped about in the roadster rather uncomfortably. At last, however, she came within sight of the farmhouse, and as she viewed it from a distance, noticed that it was even older and more run down than she had thought. The house was large and rambling, but apparently it had not been painted in years. Shingles were falling from the roof, and the porches sagged. As Nancy's eyes traveled to the old barn, she wondered how it had managed to survive the recent storm. If Allie and Grace Horner only had money, they could make the place attractive, she thought as she drove through the open gate. Squawking chickens fled before her as she stopped the roadster in the barnyard and switched off the engine. Springing lightly from the car, she ran up the walk toward the house. She paused at the kitchen door and rapped. Receiving no response, she went around to the front of the house and knocked on another door. There was no answer. Nor did a tour of the yard reveal either of the Horner girls. Disappointment took possession of Nancy. She had driven nearly 15 miles only to find no one at home. I'm defeated at every turn, she thought disconsolately, as she slowly walked back to the roadster. It's certainly discouraging. Hello there, a voice called. Were you looking for us? The shouted greeting reached Nancy as she prepared to step into the roadster. One foot on the running board, 
she turned her head and saw the Horner girls hurrying toward her from the direction of the barn. Allie did not wait for her sister to open the barnyard gate, but, swinging easily over it, ran to meet Nancy. "'We saw you just as you were leaving the house,' she cried enthusiastically. "'We wouldn't have missed you for anything.' "'We were picking berries in the woods,' Grace explained as she hurried up, slightly out of breath. Proudly, she displayed a tin pail, which was filled nearly to the brim with raspberries. "'Look at our arms!' and Allie laughed ruefully as she glanced down at the ugly scratches, which had been caused by brambles and sharp thorns. "'You must come into the house and have a dish of berries, Nancy,' Grace urged hospitably. "'They're good with sugar and cream.' "'If you don't have them too often,' Allie added. "'I can stop but a minute,' Nancy declared as the three entered the house. "'I came to talk about the will.' "'Oh!' Then you have good news for us? Allie asked hopefully. Are we really going to get some of the money? I don't know yet, Nancy was forced to admit. So far I haven't been able to learn a thing about the missing will. Allie's face fell, but she tried to hide her disappointment. We need the money so badly, she said with an apologetic smile. Grace hasn't had a new dress in three years. She makes all of our clothing out of old things we happen to have in the house. If our luck doesn't change soon, I'm afraid we'll be mistaken for rag pickers. We really didn't expect much of Uncle Josiah's money, Grace broke in quickly, lest Nancy misinterpret her sister's remarks. We weren't related, you know. Well, you can hardly say the Tophams were, for that matter, Allie declared. They were third or fourth cousins. We can get along without the money, Grace said quietly. We manage very well when I have plenty of work. We're a little discouraged right now because dressmaking has fallen off. It's a slack season. I guess people would rather go to the store and buy a dress ready-made. I wouldn't, Nancy declared impulsively. Grace, I'd like to engage you to make me a dress. Will you do it? I'll pay you well. Tears of joy came into Grace's eyes. Will I? Oh, you don't know how grateful I am for the work. I haven't had anything to do for nearly three months. I don't mind poverty so much for myself, but for Allie, her voice broke, I promised Mother I'd look after her. Allie sprang from her chair and rushed to her sister. She flung her arms affectionately about her. Oh, Grace, I shouldn't have said what I did about needing money. I didn't mean it. Truly, I didn't. But it's the truth. We'll get along, Grace, if only my chicken money came in faster. Why can't a hen lay more than one egg a day? Grace smiled faintly at Allie's feeble attempt at a joke. And to break an awkward silence, Nancy took up the conversation. I'll bring the dress material with me the next time I come this way. She did not need a new dress, but she realized that there was no other way to help the Horner girls, for they were too proud to accept money. And now I want to ask you a few more questions about Josiah Crowley, Nancy told them. Do you know whether he ever visited other relatives besides the Tophams? Oh, yes, Allie returned promptly. He was only distantly related to the Tophams, you know. They were third cousins, I believe. 
he had a number of other relatives whom he frequently visited. Before he went to live with the Tophams, they took turns keeping him, Grace informed her visitor. Can you tell me the names of those relatives? Let me see, Grace lost herself in thought. There are two cousins living in Masonville. Matilda and Edna Turner, Allie prompted her. They're regular old maids, but awfully nice. They were wonderful to Uncle Josiah when he was alive. And there were two nephews, Grace went on, William and Fred Matthews. They have a farm on this same river road. Everyone thought they would get something. How far do they live from here? Oh, not more than five miles. You could drive there in a few minutes. It's on the way to Masonville. Then I'll be able to make the two calls on the same trip, Nancy announced, as she arose to depart. I must hurry along now, or it will be too late for me to stop there this afternoon. I'm hoping that by talking with the relatives, I may learn something that will help us to trace the missing will. I'm afraid there's not much chance we'll ever get anything, Grace said rather morosely. The Tophams will never let the money slip out of their hands. If we find the will, they won't be able to keep the money, Nancy declared. Father will see to it that you girls get your just due. Oh, Grace, we forgot to tell Nancy about Abigail Rowan, Allie reminded her sister. She'd be apt to know more about the will than anyone else. That's right. You really should call on her, Nancy. She took care of Uncle Josiah one time when he was sick, and he thought the world of her. He often declared he intended to leave her something. Even a few hundred dollars would have meant so much to her, Allie added. Abigail is old and feeble now. She must be more than seventy years of age, and there is no one to look after her. Where shall I find her? Nancy asked quickly. She lives over on the West Lake Road, Grace responded. It's a good many miles from here. You could make inquiry at some of the farmhouses along the road. I won't have time to go there today, but I'll surely call upon her as soon as I can. And now, I must be going or it will be dark long before I get back to River Heights. Nancy said goodbye hastily. The Horner girls accompanied her to the roadster and watched her drive away. As she looked back from the corner, they waved their handkerchiefs. Plucky girls, Nancy thought. Until today, I didn't realize how terribly they need help. I simply must find a way to help them. She drove along the river road, heading in the direction of Masonville. Although it was growing late, Nancy was determined to visit the Matthews brothers, and if possible, Matilda and Edna Turner. After she had gone perhaps five miles, she began to watch the mailboxes, and presently, noticed one that bore the name Matthews. The farmhouse was set back a short distance from the road, and Nancy drove the roadster down a narrow lane which led to it. As she stopped the car, a man came out of the house and regarded her questioningly. Learning that the farmer was William Matthews, Nancy quickly explained her mission. At first, the man was inclined to distrust her, but after he had made certain that she was not a friend of the Richard Topham family, he talked frankly of Josiah Crowley and told all that he knew concerning the will. 
My brother and I have filed a complaint with the proper authorities at the courthouse, he explained. We feel certain there must have been another will, because Uncle Josiah always said that he intended to leave us something. Did you actually see the will? Nancy questioned hopefully. The farmer shook his head. No, my brother and I haven't the proof that he ever made a second will. But we do know that he never had any particular love for the Tophams. He felt that they took him in only because they were after his money. And I guess he wasn't wrong at that. Anyway, I am certain that he had made up his mind to cut them off without a cent. Perhaps he neglected to write the second will. That wouldn't be like Uncle Josiah. He was rather queer about little things, but he was always particular in attending to business matters. No, I'm more apt to think he made the will and hid it somewhere. You have no idea where he could have concealed it? Not the slightest, miss. My brother and I will be glad to offer a substantial reward to anyone who can produce it. Nancy asked a number of other questions, but the farmer was unable to furnish information which was of any value. Disappointed, she thanked the man for his trouble and continued on her way to Masonville. Rumor, rumor, she sighed. That's all I hear. At my next stop, I hope I'll acquire a few facts. Upon reaching Masonville, Nancy made inquiry and was directed to the home of the Turner sisters. They lived alone at the outskirts of the city. Although not in poverty, they did not have any more money than they needed. Nancy found them at home, and when they learned the purpose of her visit, they greeted her cordially. They were very pleasant ladies, and she spent nearly an hour at their home. But although they answered her questions willingly, she learned nothing which had a direct bearing on the missing will. Matilda and Edna Turner insisted that Josiah Crowley had intended to disinherit the Tophams, but they had no idea what could have become of the later will. They had been led to expect a small inheritance, and were disappointed that everything was to go to the Tophams. Why don't you talk with Abigail Rowan? Matilda suggested at the conclusion of the interview. She took care of Josiah once when he was sick, and he thought a lot of her. She knew more about his queer ways than any other living person. I don't believe it would do a particle of good, Edna interposed. Abigail is getting along in years, and her memory isn't what it used to be. It was after dark when at last Nancy took leave of the Turner sisters and headed her roadster toward home. She was tired and hungry as well as discouraged. So far I've only wasted my time, she thought despondently. I'm no closer to finding the will than I ever was, and I'm sure there is one. I've often heard father say that no real mystery is solved without a lot of hard work, and I'm ready to believe it. With the exception of Abigail Rowan, Nancy had called upon all of the Crowley relatives. From what the Turner sisters had told her, she was doubtful that a visit to her cottage would be worthwhile. Oh, well, I suppose I may as well go there tomorrow, Nancy decided after a mental debate. She's my last hope. If I fail there, I'll be forced to give up. Chapter 9 Vital Information This must be the house. It certainly fits the description given me. 
As she spoke, Nancy Drew paused before a square, one-story frame building, which stood dejectedly in the center of a yard, overgrown with weeds and dandelions. The cottage was sadly in need of paint, and pickets were missing from the sagging fence which enclosed it. A boardwalk, which led to the front porch, had begun to rot away, and offered treacherous footing. The place looks deserted, but I'm sure Abigail Rowan must live here, Nancy assured herself as she made her way up the walk, gingerly avoiding loose boards, which threatened to fly up at her. Early that morning she had left River Heights in her final quest for information concerning the Crowley will. Nancy did not know exactly where Abigail Rowan lived, but she had taken the West Lake Road and had made inquiry along the way. Neighbors had assured her that she could not miss the place, as it was the most run-down house along the road. If Abigail can't help me, I'm at the end of my string, Nancy thought as she rapped on the front door. There was no response to her knock, and she rapped a second time. She was about to turn away in disappointment when a slight noise within the house attracted her attention. She was certain her rap had been heard. Who's there? a muffled voice called. If you're a peddler, I don't want anything. I'm not a peddler, Nancy called out reassuringly. Won't you let me in, please? There was a long silence, and then the quavering voice replied, I can't open the door. I've hurt myself and can't walk. Nancy hesitated an instant, and then pushed open the door. As she stepped into the dreary living room, she saw the pitiful figure on the couch. Abigail Rowan lay huddled under a ragged old shawl, her withered face drawn with pain. I am Nancy Drew, and I've come to help you, Miss Rowan. At the words, the old lady turned her head and regarded Nancy with a stare which was almost childlike. You've come to help me, she repeated unbelievingly. I didn't think anyone would ever trouble themselves about old Abigail again. Here, let me arrange the pillows for you. Gently, Nancy moved the old woman into a more comfortable position. Yesterday I fell down the cellar stairs, Abigail explained. I hurt my hip and sprained my ankle. I can't take a step without it nearly killing me. Haven't you had a doctor? Nancy asked in astonishment. There ain't been a soul come near me, Abigail sighed. I've just laid here on my bed and wondered how soon the end would come. I'm getting along in years now and it won't be long. Nonsense, Nancy protested brusquely, for she saw that the old lady's trouble had made her morose. You have a good many happy years yet before you. Can't you walk at all? Are you certain your hip isn't broken? I can walk a little, but it hurts something awful when I do. Then your hip isn't broken, Nancy said in relief. Let me see your ankle. Why, you don't even have it wrapped up. Where are the bandages? I'll fix it for you. There's a white rag in the closet in the kitchen, Abigail told her. Nancy shook her head sternly. A rag won't do. You have a bad sprain, and it must be taken care of properly. You really should have a doctor. I can't afford it, Abigail murmured. Let me pay for it, Nancy begged. Abigail shook her head stubbornly. 
I'll not take charity. I'd rather die in my bed. Well, if you're set on not having a doctor, I'm going to the nearest drugstore and get bandages and a number of other things, Nancy insisted. But before I go, I'll make you a cup of tea. There ain't any tea in the house. Then I'll get some. What else do you need? I need most everything, but I can't afford to pay for it. You might get me some tea and a loaf of bread. That's enough. You'll find the money in a jar in the cupboard. It's not very much, but it's all I have. I'll be back in a few minutes, Nancy promised. She stopped in the kitchen long enough to examine the cupboards. As she had suspected, they were practically empty. With the exception of a little flour and sugar and a cheap can of soup, there appeared to be nothing in the house to eat. Nancy discovered the money jar, but an investigation revealed that it contained less than five dollars. It's probably every cent poor Abigail has in the world, Nancy thought. Nancy did not take any money from the jar, but quietly slipped out the back door. Hurrying to the roadster which she had left at the roadside, she drove to the nearest store and ordered nearly ten dollars' worth of groceries. She wished that she might take a doctor back with her, but she realized that Abigail was set in her ways and would not accept the service, since she could not pay for it. Before she returned to the cottage, Nancy stopped at the drugstore and purchased bandages and liniments. She carried the supplies into the house and quickly set about making Abigail more comfortable. She bathed the swollen ankle and bound it neatly with the clean bandage. It feels better already, Abigail told her gratefully. I don't know what I'd have done if you hadn't come when you did. As soon as she had attended to the woman's immediate needs, Nancy built a fire in the kitchen range and put on the tea kettle. While she was waiting for the water to boil, she raised the drawn shades and permitted the warm sunshine to flood the room. While she did this, she told Abigail Rowan something about herself. After the tea had steeped, she poured Abigail a cup and urged her to eat the nourishing meal she had prepared. She was gratified to observe that almost immediately the old woman became more cheerful and seemed to gain strength. She sat up on the couch and appeared eager to talk with Nancy. There ain't many folks that are willing to help an old woman. If Josiah Crowley had lived, things would have been different, she declared. It's strange that he didn't provide for you in his will, Nancy replied quietly. She did not wish to excite the old woman by telling her real mission, and yet she was eager to find out what Abigail knew about the missing will. She hoped that she might lead her tactfully into a discussion of Josiah Crowley's affairs without raising hopes which might never be realized. It's my opinion that Josiah did provide for me, Miss Rowan returned impressively. Many a time, he said to me, Abigail, you'll never need to worry. When I'm gone, you'll be well taken care of by my will. And then everything was left to the Toppums. Nancy encouraged her to proceed. That was according to the first will. But there was another one. I don't know what became of it. Are you sure there was another will? Nancy inquired almost too eagerly, for Abigail looked at her rather sharply. Of course I am. I'm as sure of it as I am that I'm sitting here. Why, 
I saw that will with my own eyes. You saw it? Nancy gasped. The old woman nodded gravely. Mind I didn't see what was in the will. One day Josiah came in where I was sitting, in my rocking chair, and right off I noticed he had a piece of paper in his hand. Abigail, he said, I've made my will. I fooled them lawyers and wrote it myself. How long ago was that? Nancy asked quickly. Let me see, Abigail frowned thoughtfully. No, I can't remember the exact date. It was about the time Josiah went to live with Richard and Cora. Well, to go on with what I was saying, when Josiah showed me the will, he seemed mighty tickled about it. Mind, he didn't show me what was inside, but he hinted that he'd done well by me. But Josiah, I said to him, are you sure it's legal to write it yourself? Of course it is, he said to me. A lawyer told me it was all right, just so long as I had it witnessed. Do you know who witnessed the will? Nancy broke in. No, I didn't ask him, and he didn't say. He just went out of the room, chuckling in that funny way he had. Haven't you any idea what became of the will? Nancy asked hopefully. I reckon he hid it somewhere. That would be like Josiah. But I remember he did say something about putting it where nobody can get it, lest they have the legal authority. So I don't know what became of it. For all I know, he may have turned it over to a lawyer. Are you certain that was all he said? Nancy inquired gently. She knew that Abigail had grown rather childish, and that her memory was failing. It seems to me he did say something about what he was going to do with that will. But I just can't recollect. Abigail shook her head and sighed. Many a night I've laid awake trying to think what it was. It seemed to Nancy that as victory was almost within her grasp, it had been snatched from her. Undoubtedly, Abigail Rowan held the secret of the Crowley will locked in her brain, and it was equally likely that she would never be able to recall the vital information, unless, in some unusual way, her memory was given a particular stimulus. Try to think, Nancy begged. I can't remember, Abigail murmured hopelessly. I've tried and I've tried. She leaned against the cushions and closed her eyes, as though the effort had exhausted her. At that very moment, the clock on the mantel chimed three. Abigail Rowan's eyes fluttered open, and an odd expression passed over her face. For an instant, she stared straight before her and then slowly turned her head and fastened her eyes on the clock. Chapter 10 Abigail's Disclosure When the mantel clock finished striking the hour of three, Abigail Rowan's lips began to move. Nancy leaned forward eagerly, fearful lest a single word escape her. She sensed that the striking of the clock at a psychological moment, had started a train of thought coursing through the old woman's mind, and now she believed that an important disclosure was about to be made. The clock! Abigail whispered so softly that the words were scarcely audible. That was it! The clock! Josiah Crowley hid the will in a clock? 
Nancy prompted her. No. Abigail shook her head and sighed again. That wasn't it. I thought I had it. And then it slipped my mind. I seemed to recollect that he said something about a clock. But that wasn't it. Abigail continued to stare at the timepiece, as did Nancy, who was at a loss to understand what connection it could have with the missing will. Suddenly, a low cry came from the old woman. There! It came to me just like that! After all these years! Tell me, Nancy commanded quietly, for she feared that the knowledge might slip from the old lady before she could disclose it. A notebook! Abigail brought out triumphantly. It was something about a notebook. Tell me more about the notebook, Nancy urged gently. Although she could scarcely hide her eagerness, she forced herself to speak quietly, lest she should excite Miss Rowan. I remember it all now. Josiah wrote about the will in a little notebook of his. One day, he said to me, Abigail, after I'm dead, if my will doesn't come to light, you can find all about it in this little book of mine. What became of the notebook, Miss Rowan? I can't seem to recall. He hid it someplace. Again, Nancy Drew was baffled. Involuntarily, her eyes traveled to the mantel clock. She studied it critically. What connection could the clock have with the missing will, she asked herself. Certainly there must be one, for otherwise its striking would not have caused Abigail to think of the notebook. Nancy had studied psychology in school and was familiar with the power of suggestion and association. Now her keen mind jumped to the conclusion that a clock had something to do with the missing Crowley will. Could it be that the notebook had been hidden in the clock? Impulsively, Nancy got up and went over to the mantel. She took down the clock and looked inside. She saw nothing but a tiny key, which evidently was used to wind the timepiece. Disappointed, she returned to her chair. Where was Josiah Crowley living at the time he told you about the notebook? She asked the old lady. He was living in his own house then, but he was just getting ready to go to the Tophams. He'd been visiting around with his various kin and letting his own house stay empty. After the Tophams asked him to live with them, he sold his home. What became of the household goods? Nancy inquired. Oh, the Tophams got most everything. There must have been a family clock, Nancy mused half to herself. A family clock? Abigail repeated. Oh, yes, there was a clock. Can you describe it? Nancy questioned. Well, it was just an ordinary mantel clock, tall and with a square face. Something like that one over there. The old lady pointed to the timepiece Nancy had just examined. Only, Josiah's was more elaborate. It had a moon or something on top. What became of the clock? I don't know, Abigail responded indifferently. I suppose the Tophams got it. They took everything else. It was on the tip of Nancy's tongue to tell Abigail that Josiah Crowley might have hidden his will inside the family clock. But she hesitated to excite the old lady. After all, it was only a theory, 
and it would not be kind to encourage Abigail Rowan to believe there was a likelihood of gaining an inheritance, unless it were a fact. I'll wait until I'm sure before I say anything about it to her, Nancy decided. She asked a number of other questions, but it was soon apparent that Abigail had told all she could recall about the will. Although Nancy spoke of the family clock a number of times, its mention did not seem to interest the old lady. At last Nancy arose to depart, but before leaving, she promised Abigail she would return in a few days to see how she was getting along. It was likewise her intention to stop at the nearest house, to ask a neighbor woman to look after the old lady during her absence, but she said nothing of this, as she knew Abigail would protest. After attending to the mission, she sprang into her roadster and started for River Heights. Nancy Drew was highly elated at the information she had gleaned, and was now more interested in the case than ever. I'll not tell the Horner girls what I've learned, Nancy advised herself. At least, not until I have learned more about the family clock. If nothing comes of my theory, Allie and Grace would only be disappointed. I'll not raise their hopes until I have something important to tell. As Nancy drove along the Westlake Road, she reviewed the facts of the Crowley case. Unquestionably, Josiah Crowley had made a second will. According to Abigail Rowan, he had secreted it in a safe place and had written its location in a little notebook. He had told Abigail where the notebook could be found in case of his death, and with the passing years, the knowledge had slipped away from the old lady. It's my opinion that Josiah Crowley hid the notebook in the old family clock, Nancy reasoned. Otherwise, why would Abigail have said anything about it? Nancy was at a loss to know how to proceed. She knew that her next step in unraveling the mystery was to search the Crowley clock, but this would not be easy to accomplish. If, as Abigail had indicated, the clock had fallen into the hands of the Tophams, the task might be an impossible one. Then, too, it was not at all unlikely that the Tophams had already discovered the notebook. In that case, they would have destroyed it, Nancy told herself. Still, from the conversation I overheard in the park, I feel reasonably certain the notebook has never been found. No, if Josiah Crowley ever hid it in the clock, it must still be there, and it's up to me to get hold of it. During the long ride to River Heights, Nancy Drew mulled over the perplexing problem, but try as she would, she could think of no way to get her hands on the old clock. She must find some means of gaining entrance to the Topham residence. <laughs> I can't very well climb through a window. Much as I would like to, she laughed, and if I pay a social call upon the Tophams, they're sure to be suspicious. We haven't been friendly for years, and since Ada and Isabel discovered that I have taken an interest in the Horner girls, they would be certain to question my motive in going to their house. No, I must think of a good excuse. Presently, Nancy reached River Heights. She drove the roadster down the boulevard and stopped in front of her home. As she stepped out and was preparing to go into the house, she heard her name called. Wheeling about, she saw a girl running toward her. It was one of Nancy's chums, Helen Corning.
Hello, Nancy, Helen called. I haven't seen you for days. Where do you keep yourself? Nancy laughed as she greeted her chum. Oh, I've been especially busy lately. Come into the house and we'll have a chat. Oh, I can't, Nancy. I wouldn't be up this way, but I'm trying to sell tickets for a charity dance. How many have you sold? I have six left, Helen sighed. It's a thankless job. I'll take two if that will help you out, Nancy offered. Will it help me? Say, if I ever got rid of these tickets, I'm going to dance a hornpipe. If I don't sell them this afternoon, it's going to fix it so I can't start for Moon Lake. I wish I'd never promised to sell the things. Moon Lake? Nancy asked in surprise. Yes, I'm going to a girls' camp there. I had planned to leave tonight, but unless I can get rid of these tickets, I don't see how I can. I wish you were going with me to Moon Lake, Nancy. So do I, Helen. Why don't you come along, then? Oh, I can't, Nancy protested. I'm involved in something important and I can't get away. I'd love to go, though. Really, I would. Well, if you find you can make it later, just hop into your roadster and come along. I'll be there for two weeks. That is, if I ever get rid of these charity tickets. I can't leave until I've sold them. I'd pay for them out of my allowance, only I've spent it already. You are in difficulties, Nancy laughed. She reached in her purse. How much are the tickets, Helen? Two dollars each. How many will you take? Oh, give me two. As Helen extended the tickets, a sudden thought struck Nancy Drew. A pleased light broke over her face. I have an idea, Helen. I'll sell all your tickets for you. How will that suit you? You're not joking? Never was more serious in my life. Then the tickets are yours but let me warn you it won't be easy to sell them. I'll enjoy trying it. Well, I must say you have queer ideas of fun, Helen commented dryly. But I'll not argue with you. This will be fine for me. Now I'll be able to start for camp this afternoon. Here are the tickets. She handed them over with evident pleasure. Good luck to you, Nancy. You'll need it. After Helen Corning had gone on down the street, Nancy Drew walked slowly toward the house. She regarded the charity tickets meditatively and chuckled softly to herself. <laughs> That's once when I killed two birds with one stone. These tickets will serve as my passport to the impregnable Topham Fortress. Chapter 11 Visiting the Tophams it was nearly three o'clock of the following afternoon when Nancy Drew paused in front of the Topham residence on Highland Boulevard. She surveyed the structure with distaste. The house was a large, pretentious affair of nondescript type. It was set back from the street and seemed to look down rather aloofly upon the surrounding homes. Even a casual glance at the lawn revealed that it had been landscaped with a vengeance. In an effort to do it in proper style, Mrs. Topham had crowded the yard with sundials, benches, birdhouses, and statues. Such a lack of taste, Nancy thought as she walked up the path to the house. She lifted the knocker on the front door. Nancy Drew realized that the interview was apt to be an unpleasant one. 
and she braced herself for the ordeal. I must be diplomatic, she advised herself, or I'll not learn a thing about that clock. If they suspect what I'm about, they may bounce me out on my ear. At that moment, a uniformed butler opened the door and condescendingly waited for Nancy to state her mission. Tell Mrs. Topham that Miss Drew is calling, she directed. I'm selling tickets for the charity dance. It's one of the most important social functions of the year, and I'm sure that Mrs. Topham will wish to attend. Nancy was forced to wait until the butler returned with permission for her to enter. As she was finally ushered into the living room, she could not help but smile at the elaborate formality, for in spite of Mrs. Topham's lofty ambitions, the woman had never achieved the commanding position in society that she strove for. The room in which Nancy found herself was even more bizarre than she had anticipated. Expensive oriental rugs clashed with window draperies of a different hue. The walls were heavy with paintings, which were entirely out of place in such a small room, and period furniture had been added indiscriminately. But Nancy Drew was not interested in Mrs. Topham's lack of taste. As soon as the butler had left her alone, she hastily glanced about. Almost at once, her eye fastened upon a mantel clock, which rested above the fireplace. I wonder if that can be the Crowley clock, Nancy thought. She rather doubted it, for the clock was too modern in appearance. She would have crossed the room to examine it, but a sound in the hall caused her to hesitate. As she heard someone coming, she sank down on an uncomfortable ladder-back chair and assumed an expression of composure. Mrs. Topham sailed grandly into the room, and after surveying her for a minute, took a seat opposite Nancy. Well, she demanded coldly, what is it? I'm selling tickets for the... I don't want them, Mrs. Topham broke in rudely. I can't be handing out my money to every peddler that comes along. Mrs. Topham, I am not a peddler, Nancy said cuttingly, as the color mounted to her cheeks. With difficulty, she kept her temper in check. Perhaps you didn't understand my name. I am Nancy Drew. Oh. A slight change came over Mrs. Topham's face, for she was fully aware that Carson Drew and his daughter were cordially welcomed in River Heights homes, which merely tolerated the Toppums, or, in a few cases, barred them. I didn't catch the name, Miss Drew. What is it you are selling? Tickets for the charity dance. Well, I hardly know what to say, Mrs. Topham hedged. It was apparent that she was afraid to offend Nancy, and yet she was unwilling to part with the money. Although the Tophams were well-to-do, it was common knowledge that Mrs. Topham was decidedly stingy where other persons were concerned. How much are the tickets? Two dollars each. Why, that's positively exorbitant, Mrs. Topham protested. But we are selling the tickets for charity, Nancy explained. I can assure you the cause is an excellent one. Before Mrs. Topham could reply, the front door opened, and Isabel and Ada entered the house. Unaware of the visitor, they paused in the hall and carried on a disgruntled conversation. Evidently, they had been making social calls, 
and were angry because some woman had refused to see them. Her maid said she wasn't at home, but I know she was, Nancy heard Ada complain. The two sisters entered the living room, and when they saw Nancy, stopped short and stared rudely at her. They did not speak a word of greeting. Miss Drew is selling tickets to a dance, Mrs. Topham informed her daughters. Don't buy them, Ada advised harshly. She had not forgotten the scene in the department store, and longed to avenge herself upon Nancy, whom she considered responsible for her humiliation. But Ada, Mrs. Topham protested feebly, I thought it might help our social standing to take a few tickets. Don't be silly, mother, Ada snapped. You'll only waste your money. We don't want to go anyway. All right, I won't buy the tickets. Good afternoon, Miss Drew. Reluctantly, Nancy arose. She was somewhat taken aback at the unceremonious dismissal, for she had not accomplished the real purpose of her visit. As she turned, Nancy saw that Richard Topham blocked the door. He had entered so quietly that his arrival had been unobserved. "'Just a minute, Miss Drew,' he said. "'How many tickets have you there?' Four. Nancy gasped in surprise. "'I'll take them all!' With a grand gesture, Richard Topham opened his pocketbook and carelessly pulled out a twenty-dollar bill. "'Keep the change,' he ordered with assumed indifference. "'Give it to the charity.' "'Richard!' his wife gazed at him with disapproval. "'Have you lost your mind? A twenty-dollar bill?' she whispered. "'It's you who can't see beyond your nose,' Mr. Topham retorted, but in a low voice. "'You're always trying to get into society.' and then you pass up a real opportunity. This donation will get our names into the paper. He slumped into the nearest chair, and opening the afternoon paper, buried himself in the stock page. Mrs. Topham knew that the matter was closed, for she scarcely dared speak to her husband when he was absorbed in his market reports. Nancy, too, realized that she had no excuse for prolonging her stay. I really must be going, she said quickly. What time is it anyway? There's a clock in front of you, Isabel told her pointedly. Why, so there is, Nancy returned pleasantly. She glanced at the timepiece as though she had never seen it before. Oh, surely that can't be the old Crowley clock. I'm so interested in heirlooms. I should say not. This is a far more expensive clock than the one Josiah Crowley left us, Mrs. Topham informed her caller condescendingly. Indeed, but I suppose you still have the family clock stored away in your attic. It's so hard to part with heirlooms. Cleverly, Nancy led Mrs. Topham to further disclosures. It wasn't hard to part with that old-fashioned thing, Mrs. Topham returned. We didn't want it cluttering up the attic, Isabel added. Crowley left so much old junk. We considered the clock entirely out of place in our modern home, Mrs. Topham continued. So we sent it up to our bungalow on Moon Lake. Unwittingly, Mrs. Topham had given Nancy the information which she sought. The purpose of her visit accomplished. The girl politely thanked the Thophams for the purchase of the charity tickets and quickly took her leave. As she walked down the path to the street, she chuckled softly to herself. The Thophams may be old schemers, but this time they weren't so clever. Unless I am mistaken, 
those tickets will prove to be the most expensive ones they ever bought. Before they get through, it may cost them the Crowley fortune. This is your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we continue to listen to The Secret of the Old Clock. You can find a link to our podcast on the Marshall Public Library webpage, www.marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.